Good morning, family. How are you this morning? We're going to be uh, reading out of John chapter 15. If you guys want to turn with me there and uh, we'll get started. John chapter 15. I am the true vine and the father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not, or if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I choose you, and appoint you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now... But now they have seen and hated me both for my father. But the world that it is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me and also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we just lift your word back up to you, and we ask that you open our eyes to see and open our hearts that they receive the word that you have for us. Lord, I just pray that you uh, bless Jackie as he brings forth your word, Lord, and I just pray that every heart in this room is susceptible to what you have for us today, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at uh, another bite out of John chapter 15. We're going to be looking from verses 12 through 25 will be our focus. We'll talk a little bit about 26 and 27, but that, I think, leads us into next week in John chapter 16. So we see in the beginning, we just got to make sure we still have our context in view. Contextually, what's going on? It's the worst night of the disciples' lives. Every time Jesus starts to tell them something, it's a little bit more bad news, a little bit more scary. They're, they're thinking tomorrow's just another day. But you and I know tomorrow for the disciples is the crucifixion. So they're, they're in the final hours and they're trying to wrap their minds around all of the things that Jesus has been telling them. They're walking now from the, the upper room where they had had celebrated a Passover meal, the Last Supper, and they walked across the, the area where the temple is, down into the Kidron Valley. They're headed over to the Mount of Olives. Now, I just want to kind of get your mind wrapped around it because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17. I just want you to know that you will have been able to walk from the upper room to the, uh, to the Mount of Olives in substantially less time than it's going to take us. I don't, I don't think it would take 30 minutes. So this is a pretty much basically as you read this would be the conversation walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so as they're discussing these things, Jesus is preparing them. These are his last words before they face the most difficult trial they're going to face in their lives. Um, and so as he's preparing them, he's laying out for them. First, in John 15, 1 through 11, we talked about the fact that if we're going to be able to be successful, to move forward, to grow, to be fruitful, the branch has to be attached to the vine. Jesus is the vine. We must be attached to the vine. Jesus told his disciples, you are the branches and I am the vine and you can't do anything of yourself. You are going to need me. Now, next chapter, he's going to say to them, just in case that's not shocking enough for them, I'm going to leave. And it's good for you that I leave. So their minds are going to be kind of running through this, this trip of what's happening, what's going on this day. So he's going to move from the idea of fruitfulness being attached to the vine, and then he's going to shift to giving them a statement about discipleship. And it's an important one that you and I need to make sure we pay attention to. Because he's going to say, this is, you want to know if you're a disciple. If you want to know whether or not you're a disciple, Jesus is going to tell us how to know. He's going to, give, he's going to speak it very clearly. A, a statement on the responsibility of a disciple. What is it that a disciple should do? And then right afterwards, he's going to tell us, now, as you, as you understand this link of becoming a disciple, know that it does not come without persecution. He says the world will hate you. And in the midst of that, the statement about what it is to be a disciple and the understanding that persecution is coming, he gives a hint in verses um, 26 and 27 about the power to overcome the persecution and the power to be 
his disciples in the one who will come as our comforter, the helper. So we want to kind of keep this in mind as we delve into the word, as we bring our shovels prayerfully, as we overturn it, the statement on discipleship. He starts in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Oh, by the way, you don't get to define what that word means. Because he did. What did he say? You will love one another how? As I have loved you. So how is it that a disciple is to love? How are we supposed to love one another? Disciples of Christ, people who have followed Christ, we're to love one another the same way Christ loved us. The word throughout this section is the word agapeo. And it's various forms. Obviously, sometimes we're talking about love in terms of a noun. Often we're talking about it in terms of a verb. So we're, he's laying out for us. This is the desire. This is expected of disciples. This is his commandment. He's going to say, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Right? Well, we're right in context. We're in the very, we're almost within a sentence or two of the very statement. And what is he saying? Here's my commandment. Love each other like I loved you. Man, that's a struggle. It's hard. You know why? Because we are selfish animals. Okay, maybe you're not ready to be able to make that proclamation for yourself. I am selfish. I'm selfish. I want what I want when I want it, just like an infant child cries for his bottle of milk when he's hungry. I have to battle against my selfishness in order to be what Christ is asking me to be. Someone who loves the brethren. Who loves each other. Who's willing to fulfill. What is expected? Listen, what he tells in John 13. John 13, same evening. Sun hasn't risen yet. A new commandment I give to you. John 13, 34. That you love one another. Not brand new. This is not the word for brand new. This is fresh. He's given a fresh spin to it. Leviticus already told us that we're to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. right? We're supposed to love our neighbor. He says, a new commandment, fresh. I want you to love each other. The same way I loved you. That's the fresh part. I don't want you going around defining what love is. Well, this is what loving is, and this is what love. Well, you could read the book, Five Love Languages. That's great. And you'll have an understanding of five different ways to love somebody. But Jesus gave us a definition. He said, you love one another like I loved you. The same way. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. If... You have love one for another. If you have love one for another, this is expected. First John, same author. The book of First John, chapter 3, verse 11. For this is a message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You remember John? John's a guy, I say, was the first, he was in the first motorcycle gang. Right? They called him and his brother, the sons of thunder, because they loved so well. No, why did they call him sons of thunder? He ran into a town that didn't treat him well. 
And he looked over at Jesus and he said, Lord, should we summon fire from heaven to devour these people? (laughs) Jesus says, man, you guys, you too. I got to keep my eye on you guys. The sons of thunder you are. What is it that he is, is going to become known as? He's going to become known as the, the apostle whom Jesus loved. And what will be his message in Ephesus? They will wheel him out in Ephesus as an old man in his 90s. They will wheel him out before the church and he will say to the church, my little children love one another. This was He had a one string banjo and he played it. Love one another. What's he write to us in 1 John? Same author of John's gospel. You have heard this from the beginning. Love one another. We should not be like Cain. Listen to the examples he gives us. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, That the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Now, the book of Proverbs is going to lay out for us this idea of two paths. Right? The path of life and the path of death. The path of wisdom and the path of the fool. He's going to lay out these ideas. So when John is talking about, hey, we passed. We left the road of death. That's where that road ends. We know where that road goes. We got on the road of life. We're following Jesus Christ. Right? So we've left the road of death. Now we have uh, entered into life because why? Why? Why can he say we've left the road of death? Because we love each other. People always want to talk about what's a sign? What's a sign that I'm saved? What's a sign that that I'm walking with the Lord? And the scripture tells us that sign is that you love each other. You love each other like Christ Loved you. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is the call. It's expected of the disciples, but it's also encouraged by the Lord. What was the example Jesus gave? He said, as I have loved you. Well, how is it that he loved them? We read about it last week in John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, what did Jesus say? So I have loved you. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So this is a question, right? Okay, so Jesus loves me. It's just as the Father loved him. He loves me. He wants me to abide in his love. How do I do that? How do I abide in your love? Jesus says, if you keep my commandments. What is that commandment? That you love one another. This is it. He lays it out. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Contextually, what's he talking about? John 15, 9, 10. What's he pointing to as evidence that he was keeping his Father's love? He was loving like the Father loved him. So I keep the Father's commandments. Now you keep my commandments. How? Because we love as Christ loved us. In the same way. John 15, 12. He commanded us, right, that you love one another. 1 John 4. 
Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. How have, has God expressed his love to us? In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we, so that we might live through him. How do we know God loved us? He sent his son. Now here's what we have to kind of understand. You have to really sink your teeth into the reality that the best thing God has to give you, he's already provided. So when we come together and we say, Lord, why won't you let me have this new job? Or how come, Lord, you won't let me have this, this woman I love? Or Lord, how come you won't bring healing? He has given you already the best thing Heaven has the best. He's given himself. How will he not also with him not freely give us all things? Everything you need, he has provided. It is Jesus Christ. He is the solution. We just don't always understand how to apply the solution. But he's laying out for us. <clears throat> he's given us the love of God we see because he gave us his son. That we... You and I might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Big word. Sin sacrifice. Substitute for you and I. The atonement. He is that which makes us, uh, brings, he is our peace that we might have peace with God the Father. He is a propitiation. Beloved, if God so loved us, what's it say? So we should love one another. Jesus provided the example. We see that example. It's expected of the disciples. We got Jesus to follow. We are expected as disciples to live in this manner. And then here's a, a link you might not have made. We just briefly touched on it last week. We'll back up a moment to do it. But it is essential if you're going to have the joy of the Lord, that you love one another. It is essential to the joy. In verse 9 of John 15, just take a look, glance back. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy might be... What things has he spoken to you? That you love one another. That you would love one another as he has loved you. That you would follow the example of Christ and what is expected as a disciple. And that is essential to your joy. You won't have it otherwise. Yes, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yes, we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. But we are to abide in his love. And we abide in his love by loving one another. The same way he loved me. That's the type of love we are discussing. And that love is expressed in self-sacrifice. He goes on in verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. This is the greatest love he describes. And you are my friends. What's he say? If you do what I command you. What is he commanded? That you love one another. This is not complicated. 
It's not, maybe I make it more complicated than it is. I want you just to understand the simplicity of God's word. People always want to trip out when Jesus says, do the things I command you. Well, Jesus brought all the commandments in scripture down to two. You know what they are? Love God and love one another. All the law and the prophets Jesus proclaimed is fulfilled in this. Love God, love people. Yeah, if you love God, there's things you don't do, right? If you love people, there's things you don't do. Like normally, if you love someone, you don't steal from them, right? If you love someone, you don't murder them. Just little things. We can, we can understand, right? If we, if we live by the expression of love, then there are things we won't do. I, I, when I used to coach, I used to, I spent so much time yelling at kids playing football about fumbling a ball. Don't fumble the ball. Don't fumble the ball. Don't fumble the ball. Don't fumble the ball. It was almost a guarantee. If I say don't fumble the ball, they're going to fumble the ball. What should I do? I, I need to change what I say. I had another coach who was extremely gifted, had come from a special needs background. He, he actually had special needs. He slaved through getting his degree and becoming a teacher, and he couldn't read. And still to this day, he, he has super, super hard time reading. Yet he's a teacher. Still. One of the best teachers I ever met because he had to learn how to overcome difficulties. And so that equipped him to look at people and give them ways. Tell them, hey, do this. Hey, do that because there's, here's the goal. We want to get to this point, but there may be other ways to get there, right? Maybe, maybe reading's hard for you, but there's other ways to get there. So he was super gifted. He told me, he said, Jackie, stop telling them not to fumble. Tell them the positive. Don't say, thou shalt not kill. Say, love one another. Don't say, thou shalt not fumble. Say, thou shalt take care of the ball. <laughs> and so you see the same thing coming out here, right? He's, he's laying this out. He wants us to know, though, it's self-sacrifice. It's laying down self. Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself for it. How is a husband supposed to love his wife? Like Christ loved the church. And did what? Gave himself for her. So how are we to love one another? You think it's different? Just because the specific is between a husband and a wife, how are we to love one another? As Jesus loved you, so love one another. Self-sacrifice. Greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends because you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Just, they didn't know either. He told them. It's not because he didn't tell them. Right? Kind of reminds me of that little skit with a nail in the head. My head hurts. You're kidding. It's not the nail. You're right. It's not. It's not the nail. Probably, it probably is a nail. Jesus told his disciples, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I will rise again. He, so, he spoke those words in their hearing. He said, you're not my servants that you don't know what's going on, but they can't hear it. 
They can't hear it. In fact, Jesus is going to say, as we continue in the next chapter, he's going to say, I have many things to tell you, but you are not yet able to bear them. Right? Sometimes we just, the experience has to come. So Jesus has told them, so I'm not calling you servants, I call you friends. For what I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He's saying, look, I have told you. I have told you, you're my friend, so this is how we love one another. We lay our lives down. What did Jesus give for us? He laid his life down. Right? He gave his life. In verse John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We have to lay our lives down. This is going to come into uh, direct conflict with my own human nature. It's going to. Because we naturally, I don't care what the newspapers say, what the magazines say, I don't care what anybody says, we love ourselves. We don't have a shortage of loving ourselves. No, everybody's here and dressed. Everybody ate if they wanted to. If they didn't, they didn't. Right? We, we know well how to take care of ourselves. He's challenging us to lay those things down for the love of the brethren. And Ephesians 5, 2 says, As we walk in love... As Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right? Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So just in case you're going to say, well, you know, these people aren't very lovable. You're right. What's it say in Romans? When did Christ die for you when you were lovable? Oh, you're so lovable. Why wouldn't Christ die for you? You're so amazing. No, I, I would guess you have the same problems I have. Because my problems are not unique in human nature. They are pretty much human nature. So what is it that he describes for us? Where we were ungodly. When we were ungodly, Christ died for us. It was not something we earned, something we got for being good. It's something he did totally out of human character and completely unified in God's character. He gave his only son so that we might be saved. He provided for us. Verse 7 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, uh, for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How are we supposed to love each other? Like Christ loved us. Did he love us when we were deserving? No, that's just his rub, right? Did he love us because of our performance, our perfect performance? Because we said all the right words or did all the right things. No, how did he love us? He loved us when we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. 
And so he challenges us. He challenges us to lay down our lives for one another. This is his statement on discipleship. And so you shall be called my disciples. They will know you are my disciples by your perfect grasp of theology. (laughs) If that was true, there'd not be very many disciples. I would probably be the only one. <laughs> so so much humility in one in one package. <clears throat> no, yeah, it didn't say because of your theology, your grasp of theology, or your ability to say all the right words when you're trying to describe something. What did he say? By this they will know you are my disciples by the way you Love one another because it will be a mirror of the way I, Christ, has loved you. That's what it is to be a disciple, gang. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples, right? On the way to the cross, on the little walk from the upper room over to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's challenging them to lay down their lives. You remember how this night started. John chapter 13, the disciples tell, the other gospels tell us, as they were coming to the upper room for the meal, the disciples were arguing with one another. What were they arguing about? Who's the greatest? Which one of us is the greatest? And while that argument's going on, they sit down, you know, they get ready around the table, and Jesus gives them a life lesson. You remember John 13, he gets up, Wraps a towel around his waist, gets a bowl of water, and goes to washing their feet. Then he said to them, this thing that I have done for you, you do for one another. Do this for one another. So we understand that this expression of self-sacrifice and the love that we're to give one another is about laying down our life. He also lays out this idea. It is explained in this passage contextually talking about us bearing fruit. He's talking about us bearing fruit and wrapped around this, like like this whole section talking about the vine being connected to the vine, being fruitful, that your fruit will abide. He's also in that, intertwined within that idea. He's talking about Loving one another. He says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Look, the disciples were just going about their life when Jesus would walk up to them and say, come follow me. Come follow me. None of us in this room made the first move toward God. None of us. God made the first move toward us. Did you not read the scripture? When you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Christ makes the move. He chooses you. And then you and I, we respond. How do we respond? We respond through the gospel. The gospel is shared. The good news of Christ. Jesus is going to lay out some of the ideas. I'll probably talk about it later. But as he's, as, he's, as he's laying this out, the gospel is shared. We who God is loving us, the love of God is poured out as he shares that word. We respond. We respond. That's what he says. 
I chose you. You did not choose me. And listen, I have appointed you for what purpose? To bear fruit. What are we talking about? Loving one another. How are we going to love one another? We, we got to be connected to the vine, right? Because the vine is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Isn't that, what, isn't that what the Bible declares? Isn't God love? Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. You're the branch attached to Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He's love. You're attached to him. You should have love. So we are attached to his vine that we might bear fruit and that that fruit may abide. The fruit stays. It doesn't go. It doesn't disappear. It doesn't go away. I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This is, people come to me all the time. Jackie, what's God's will for my life? Oh. That you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That's what he says, right? I have appointed you to bear fruit. I've appointed you to bear fruit. I've appointed you, I've commanded you, right, to love one another, to express this reality of a relationship with holy God in the way you love each other. It used to be said of the church, in the early days of persecution in Rome, when they would come invade someone's home, take the Christians out of the home, they would dip them in wax and stick them on a pole on the street and use them, the burning of this believer, as light to walk the streets at night. But you know what they used to say about the Christians? Man, they really love each other. Is that what they say today? Now, you and I both know everyone who says they're a Christian is not, right? Pretty much every politician that's run since the 1900s has declared themselves to be a believer. Oh, good, you got the easy part over with. But Jesus said, You'll know, I'll know you're my disciples by the way you... Huh, crazy how that is, isn't it? By how you love one another. We want to bear fruit. We, that fruit will abide because it's Christ who is enabling, Right? Do you got to hold your breath and count to a hundred to bear fruit? What do you have to do? Abide in the vine. And you will bear fruit. I abide in the vine when I do what? Keep his commandment. What was that commandment? Love one another. You guys are getting it, right? <laughs> Love one another. And for, for what purpose? So that, listen, so that is important. <laughs> So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now this is immediately where that human nature pops back out again. Because every one of us can say, I prayed and God didn't give it to me. I prayed, it was a good thing. I prayed for my child. I prayed for my aunt. I prayed for someone to be healed. And, and God didn't do it and they died. How can that not be a good thing? You know, the Bible declares, God says, no good thing will I withhold. No good thing will I withhold. Let me ask you another question. Why do you think it's a bad thing for someone to be in the presence of God? What is it you're really saying? 
I want them to be in my presence. See that ugly human nature again? The Lord said, you abide in me and whatever you ask, whatever you ask the Father in my name. He, he, this is something he repeated in John uh, 14, only he said, whatever you ask me in my name, I'll do it for you. So here he's saying, whatever, whatever you ask the Father in my name. And, and we have to, I talk about this all the time. In my name is not just a way to end a prayer. I said the magic words, abracadabra, and now it happens. There are people that teach this way. They teach that God has to do whatever you say because you say the words and you believe you have the faith and God has to do what you say. Woe to him. This is our human nature coming out. Like we have supreme knowledge somehow. We know what is good and necessary and needful for the moment. We have this focus, but what is it that it says? So that whatever you ask the Father in my name. Praying in the name of Christ means I'm praying in accordance faith in Christ. I have faith in him. My prayer gives expression to my unity in Christ. So I'm asking for things that Christ would want me to ask for. I'm seeking the glory of Christ and the glorification of the Father. That's what it means to ask in his name. Ultimately, in the midst of all of that, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded God knows more than I do. And when he says no, I trust him. Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, in accordance with these things, he will do. This was something, this was not nothing new. What was new was the idea of Jesus saying, ask in my name. But they used to say, ask in the name of the Father, according to his name. The Psalms talk about it. And Psalm 25, 11 says, for your name's sake, O Lord... For your name's sake, O Lord, this is the prayer, pardon my guilt. According to your name, God, pardon my guilt. Because God is good and merciful, full of loving kindness. Isn't that what the scripture declares? It's in accordance with God's character. Psalm 79, 9, another prayer. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. According to your name. Whatever you ask according to my name, you will have it. This is what the Lord is declaring when he's declaring this, this link together with our fruitfulness and loving one another. For what purpose? So that our prayers are in unity with the Son. How are my prayers in unity with the Son? That I'm abiding in him. I'm abiding in his love. How am I abiding in his love? I love the brethren. Stay in this place. Then I know. The, listen, this is what the word declares. I've told you this before. You know, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I am a mystic. I don't think I'm a mystic. I don't think it's mystical. But the Bible declares that if you love the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Two different psalms. One declares if you love 
the word of God, he will give you the desires of your heart. The other one says, if you love the Lord, your God, he will give you the desires of your heart. And we think, because our human nature pops back up, that what that means is, I want a new Harley. And why shouldn't I have one? I mean, everybody has one, don't they? So I should have a new Harley. And so, Lord, give me a new Harley. The Bible says, if I love God, and if I love God's word, he changes what I want. He puts his desires in my heart. That's what it says. He will give you the desires, right? The desires are, is a noun. It's something God possesses. He possesses the desire. I have lots of desires, but they're my desires. You guys know the difference, right? If you don't, just get married. <laughs> and you will discover the difference between my desires and someone else's, Right? So I have these, I have desires in my heart, but if I love God, if I love God's word, how does a, how does a young man cleanse his ways? By paying heed to your word, O Lord, by holding fast to God's word, he takes those desires, godly desires, and he puts them in my heart. So if one is true, the other is good. The desires I have are good because I love God and I love God's word. And he said, he'll put desires in my heart. So now when I ask, when I pray, I'm praying in accordance with his spirit. I'm praying in accordance with his name. Does it make sense? And those are the things that God's going to do. Prayer unites us together with God. It doesn't put our will in a battle against his will. Prayer done rightly will bring us in, into unity of will. Lord, your will is my will. You get it? Whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, just in case you forgot the context, we're still talking about love. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Yeah. How many times have I said that so far today? You know what? I'm not going to stop. Because he's not going to stop. This is still the point. This is still what he's driving home. Why does he have to say it so much? Oh, because we don't need it. We're already doing it, right? Yeah, I just was, I watched the news yesterday. I'll just pick whatever news you like. Uh, I watched Fox News. And they said, you know, the church, they're amazing. They love each other. No, they didn't. They did not. My little children, love one another. He goes on now and tells us as he moves from the idea of discipleship to what happens next. He gives a statement on persecution. He's going to tell us why. Why will you be persecuted for what he just described? Why will you be persecuted for that? Because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. Why will you be persecuted? Because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Now, here is why there's a lot of confusion about who the church is. Because there's a lot of people who claim to be the, you see my air quotes, the church. Making a proclamation that you are the church doesn't make you the church. How do you become the church? You abide in the love of Christ. How do you abide in the love of Christ? You keep his commandments. What was that commandment again? Love one another. Love one another. And what kind of love? It's his love, right? Not what we describe. Here's what we do when we want to redefine the terms of love. We say, well, we have to learn to love the world. Stop telling them about sin. Did Jesus do that? Wait, did, did, he, did Jesus not tell people about sin? Oh, no, he told them if it was sinful, right? Very plain language, too, so you wouldn't be confused. So that's not love, but there's a lot of people in the church that say, here's what love is. Love is allowance. Love is tolerance. Right? Because everybody knows we should be tolerant with one another. Really? Love is truth. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. You cannot have love apart from truth. Now, I understand sometimes it's uncomfortable to tell someone that something they're doing is not good. To, to, to tell someone that uh, uh, what they're doing is sin. That's sinful, which simply means that is against God's word. You're doing something against God's word. Now, a lot of people could care less. I don't care. I don't care about God. And that's okay, right? That's okay. That's their, they, get, they get to make that decision, right? But it's unloving for me if I would never say anything. Right? How do you feel about someone? Let's say you were... I'll take me for an example. Let's say I, I went over to, to uh, a local farm. I did this once. And um, they're harvesting. And so I'm, I'm going to help them harvest. Yeah, so they, they actually had me drive a, a combine. Oh, Lord, have mercy on your soul. Now, is it loving for them? It's, it's neither loving nor smart, by the way, because that's a big piece of equipment. Is it loving for them not to want to hurt my feelings to tell me if I'm not doing it right? Oh, well, I just want to be tolerant, Jackie, of all your choices. So it's okay if you run the combine into the tree. It's all right. It'll be okay. No. And so I was being trained. This is the funny part. I don't, Ori's not here, right? So I can say whatever I want. So I was being trained by Ori Reynolds. He does our sound and, and some of the uh, uh, audio, audiovisual stuff in the back. He was like, first time I met Ori, he was like five. He wasn't that young? He was five years old driving. He, drove, he passed me on a road. Babe, I think that was a five-year-old. 
Okay, he might have been older. I can tell you what he wasn't. 16. Okay, so anyways, Ori, Ori is the guy who, who's going to train me. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Yeah. So Riley is with me. Riley Reynolds, his brother. And we go to get in the combine, and Ori's running it. And, and he looks at me and goes, well, you want, you want Ori to teach you, or you want me? Uh, I, I think I want you, Riley. <laughs> I'm sure Ori's doing a good job, probably a far better job than I'm about to do. But there's something wrong with an eight-year-old teaching you how to do something. He was eight? Oh, anyways. <clears throat> Ori's amazing. It's not, it wouldn't be loving, nor would it be helpful, right? If you're expecting, we're going through life trying to reach a goal. Now, some people don't care, right? And you might tell, you might be in a conversation with somebody who don't care, and you say, you know, uh, God's word says that that's not okay. I don't care. Cool. Peace. Shake the dust and go. God's got to do work in that heart. You ain't about to. Are you? You ain't changing that heart. Walk away from that heart and go on. But you loved that heart. You told him the truth. You told him the truth. Truth is part of love. Why will they persecute you? Because the love of Christ is in you. What was the reaction of the world to Jesus? Look at 1 John 3.10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. How will we tell the difference? How will we recognize the difference? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Oh, you're kidding me. It just keeps coming up, don't it? I'm sure there's a way that God wants us to ignore it, though. Just forget about it. No, he's saying, look, how do, we, how do we tell? Everybody wants to focus on the first part. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. He's going to define that. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Love his brother. Why will the world hate you? Because you love Christ and the love of the brethren is in you. He says, if you were not of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. We are no longer of this world. We are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this is maybe a lame way to describe it, but I hope you'll understand that the, the, the picture. So here's the picture I want you to get. Okay, so we're on this big circle, uh, sphere the earth, just in case. We're on this, and as we're, as we're on this world, um, we're, we're, we're not to be of it. So this morning, what I really wanted for breakfast was a ice cream. And because I am an old man, I get to do what I want, pretty much. And I don't ask Kathy. So I go down and I get this ice cream bar. Because I like ice cream bars. She don't want me to eat them. She should not buy them. <laughs> so I go down and I get this ice cream bar for breakfast. And I open up the ice cream bar. Now the ice cream bar is of the world. But I am choosing this ice cream bar. And it is about to be 
part of me. <laughs> right? So when I eat that ice cream bar, what happens? It becomes part of me, right? We won't get into the disgusting parts. We'll just say it becomes part of my body, right? So it may be in the world, but it's not of the world because it's in me. You are of the world, but you are in Christ. He surrounds you. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then you are in Christ Jesus. You are not in the world. Though you may be of it, we're on the sphere. We're here, but we're in Christ. Jesus is saying, look, I chose you out of the world. I took you. I put you into me. We entered into Christ. We're a part of him. Ephesians explains it like this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Right? That's just normal life. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We did what we wanted, right? Our desires. We followed our flesh. We did what we wanted to do, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's the common state of man. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. In him. Jesus says, he describes it in, in John again. You were of the world the world would love you, but you're not of the world. You are of me. You are mine. You are mine. Jesus is saying, you are mine. And because you are mine, the world's going to hate you. Why? Because the world hates me and you are in me. So if the world hates me, they're going to hate you too. Understand the picture? The world hates you. It's going to hate you. First John, or sorry, First Corinthians 5, verse 9, Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of the world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to come out of the world. So he's not saying, look, I, I'm, when, when God says you should not hang out with sexually immoral people, he's not talking about people in the world. Otherwise, you'd have to be in space somewhere on a satellite. All by yourself. Otherwise, in this world, we have sinners, right? Sinners are in this world. Listen to how he describes it. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? 
Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. When he says, when he talks about judging one another, he's talking about, we look at, uh, this is my brother whom I love. I have sat in my office with a brother who is living in sexual immorality. First question I asked him, are you my brother? Are you my brother in Christ? And he said, yes. And then I just pushed the Bible over in front of him and said, read this verse. And he said, so he read the verse I just read to you. And then I asked him, are you living in sexual immorality? And he said, yes. And I said, what am I supposed to do? Now we had a great conversation and a brother repented and but I'd love to tell you that don't always happen that way isn't that what the Bible tells us to do let me let me couch that in this statement that was loving my brother it would be unloving for me to ignore it it is loving for me to say hey is this going on because just like me running a combine you want to give the instruction right If you know something is true and somebody doesn't know it right, should you tell them? Yeah. When Apollos, in the book of Acts, when Apollos is coming through and he's teaching the gospel the way he heard it, it says Aquila and Priscilla heard him and he didn't quite have things right. So Aquila and Priscilla went to him and and they said, hey, let us tell you where this is off. Why did they do that? Because they hated him. He was becoming more popular than Paul. And people were listening to him and, and starting to say how great he was. So they wanted to make sure they brought him down a notch. Oh, is that what it was? Or is it because they loved him? Love is anchored in truth. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. What comes from the Father? We discussed it earlier, right? If you love the Lord your God, he will give you the desires of your heart, right? If you love him, he will give you the desires of your heart, not the desires of the flesh, not the desires of the eye, not the pride of life. It is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So will of God, love one another. This is what he is laying out for us. We're not of the world. Jesus said, I've called you out of the world. So then what is that role? What is it that we take on? We take on the role of a servant. Listen to what he said. Remember the word I said. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. If you love the word of Christ, then you'll love the word of a brother. He goes on. He's laying out this idea, right? The role of a servant. They're going to to have that connection because the thing that connects us to one another is Christ. What connects us to one another is not love a motorcycle or fishing or hunting or football or basketball or whatever. It's not those things. What connects us to one another is a love for Christ. All those other things are just things. 
It's a love for Christ. We want to walk in an attitude of service and humility with one another. Why will they hate you? All these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they don't know me. Why will they hate you? Because they don't know me. They don't know him who sent me. Jesus told us, who is that? Who's he referring to? The Father. He's saying they don't know the Father. Why don't they know the Father? Why don't they, why don't they understand the things that he's laying out for them? Why is it that they, that they hate him? They don't know him who sent me. John 5, 39, Jesus wrote this to the scribes and the Pharisees who hated him, right? Everybody okay with that? Scribes and Pharisees hated Jesus? They're the dudes who killed him, so I figured that was okay. Not making a stretch. He said to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Well, I do not receive the glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe? This is Jesus asking the question. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you think I will accuse you to the Father? There is only one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. What does that mean? The guys who preached how much they believed Moses did not believe Moses. Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. So they didn't believe Moses. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus, I'm coming speaking the words of my father. If you don't believe his writings, how are you going to believe my words? You're, you're not. You're not. You're not going to respond. You're not going to do that. They hate you because they don't know God. They also will hate us because we're connected to Christ. They hate Christ because of his reproof of their sin. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. How did he reprove their sin? By his words. I just read it in John 5. And by his works. He did what no one else did. He did what no one else did. He said what no one else said. They did not believe. They rejected. Why? Because they want their sin. Why do people reject the truth? Because they want their sin. It's not complicated. Why won't you believe this? Because I want to do what I want to do. And that book you walk around with says I can't. So chuck that book out the window. I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Because I want my sin. Jesus said, light came to the world so that the world would see through Christ revelation of God. But men 
loved the darkness rather than the light. Why do people reject the word? It has nothing to do with the proofs you have or evidence. It has nothing to do with that. If you're here because of faith and evidence, I don't know that's good. Tomorrow they dig something up. What if your evidence goes away? Oh, oh, now my faith was in evidence. My faith is in Christ. It's in Christ. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm opposed to evidence. There's lots of evidence. Hey, I love evidence. Evidence is a great conversation between believers to hold on to. You go, look, at, look, we love Christ and look at all this evidence that's there. But you know what? Everybody, everybody interprets data. You understand that, right? Data is just data. Everybody interprets data. The same people go to the same schools to learn how to be a politician and they can't agree. Why? It's the same data. Is it not the same data? Same data. What happened? Different interpretation. Right? Look, I, I love him. My faith is in Christ. I love him. I love the evidence. The evidence is cool, but I don't believe because of evidence. I believe because Jesus Christ is who he said he is. I believe in him. I hold fast to him. The last thing we'll look at, this, this persecution that comes when we love one another, when we choose to love Christ, is so that the word that was written in the law would be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They, what did Jesus do was worthy of hate? Healing the blind? The lame? Emptying out hospitals? Uh, raising dead people? What, what did he do that was worthy Telling people that they're supposed to love God and love people. That was worthy of being put to death? What did he do worthy of being put to death? Nothing. What does the scripture say? They will hate him without a cause. Why? Because the world is at enmity with God. War with God. The world hates God. Find any unbeliever and you'll find it. The world hates God. So they will hate you. So what should we do about it? Here's what Jesus said. John 15, just going to read it and we'll close. John 15, 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says, all this persecution's coming because you love me. But don't worry. I'm going to give you something that will carry you through my presence. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to open up your word. God, I do pray, Lord, you know the heart of every, of every teacher is to be able to express the things that you have shown them in their study and their preparation, Lord. The word of God is a mirror, not a flashlight. It's shining directly in my eyes first. And Lord God, you know that, that as we express these truths, as we lay these things out, God, I know by your spirit, God, you would touch the hearts of believers to receive that which you have for them this morning. Lord, that we might be your disciples. That your church would be a church that loves one another. Full of people who will lay their lives down. 
that we might provide an illustration to the world that they haven't seen in a while. Man, everybody wants to experience that kind of love. May we be a picture of it. May we be a picture of that so that by that example, loving one another, loving God, loving his word, being led in, into his presence in it, Lord, may we then through all of that become an expression of who you are to those, Lord, that need you. God, I pray that you would use your word to call and that those who hear your call will come. And Lord, that you would be glorified in transforming their lives. For though we were once dead in our trespasses and sin, now we are alive in Christ. So God, be glorified in this place. We desire to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.